team for ministering to us through song this morning. Isn't it so interesting how our weakness is sometimes just so on display during church services? A mic doesn't work, you know, the, the wrong lyrics are up, or we don't know where we're going in the song next, or the pastor as he's reading the call to worship stutters on a sentence, he's reading it one way and it's actually going another way. Our weakness is so on display in so many different ways as Christians. Praise God for his grace. Praise God that he looks at the heart, and it is about the heart of worship that he cares so much about. And that's the God that we uh, worship, that's the God that we have sung about this morning, the God that we have prayed to, and the God whose word we are going to uh, right now. Let me just pray and thank the Lord for his grace. I also want to pray this morning and thank the Lord for his sustaining power. Uh, last Sunday, I took a look at the week, and I thought, in just this is personal, how am I going to do that? And uh, I, I called out to the Lord. I asked for his help, and he was so good to sustain me. I was sick earlier in the week. I had a number of things on that I didn't want to cancel, uh, that I was responsible for, and uh, he sustained me. How has the Lord sustained you this week? Uh, we have a f- couple of members of our church who have uh, experienced loss in the last couple of weeks. The Lord has, I hope, sustained them over the last couple of weeks. And maybe it's a greater or a lesser way, but God has sustained each of us. So let's go to him and thank him for his grace in our weakness this morning. Father in heaven, we come before you grateful. Grateful that though we are weak and flawed, feeble and failing, you are a great God. A God who holds us up. A God who rescues us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for sustaining my brothers and sisters this last week. And we pray, Lord, for much grace today and in the weeks ahead. Oh, Lord, we pray that we would walk as a church in that newness of life that Paul speaks of. And I pray, oh God, that we would be sanctified, being brought from one degree of glory to the next with every passing hour of our lives. Continue to sustain us, oh God. Continue to uphold us. I pray, oh Lord, this morning that you would uphold me as I look to proclaim the word, edify my brothers and sisters through Exodus 12. Lord, I pray that you would help me to rest in you. I pray, O Lord, that you would bring these beautiful truths to our attention, not in a way that wows us and leads to no transformation of life, but Lord, I pray that as we look at your holy scriptures this morning, that we would be amazed at what they point to, what they say for us, how applicable they are for us today. And I pray, O God, that you would lead us in the way everlasting. Help us not to be merely hearers of the word, but doers we pray for Jesus' sake and all God's people say, amen. Right now I'm reading our little guy, Nathan, a book called The Little Pilgrim's Big Journey. It's just the Pilgrim's Progress for Kids. It's got some cool pictures in it. It's, it's about 10 chapters through the, through the life of Christian, um, as John Bunyan uh, frames him. And then there's another one on Christiana. It's just a great little box set. Families, if you don't have the box set, The Little Pilgrim's Big Journey, it's wonderful. It introduces your kid to the Pilgrim's Progress. And as I've been going through that, I have been struck again 
by the opening words of the Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you've read you know, an unabridged version before. It is a striking book. In, in, the opening, in the opening pages of that book, we're introduced to a man named Christian, and two things are told to us about him. He has a great burden on his back, and he has a book in his hand, the Bible. And as he reads this book, what we get a picture of is that Christian is in distress. And he cries out, as people do when they're distressed, he cries out, what shall I do? He is totally, he, he's totally in distress. And he gets home to his family, and he tries to hide his distress, as sometimes, you know, uh, you know, the man of the family will do. He'll come home from work, and he'll be like, ah, things were crazy at work today, and but I'm not going to put this on anyone in the family. And he tries to hide his distress from his family, but he can't. He is so full of distress that it just comes out of him. And he tells his family he's distressed because he reads in this book, the Bible, that their city, called the city of destruction, will be burned with fire from heaven unless someone comes and delivers them. Unless a way of escape exists, they will be ruined. He, his family, everyone in their city. And his family tries to calm him down. They try and pacify his, his distress. And so they say, well, you know, why don't you go to bed? And they think, you know, if you go to bed, sleep it off. Things will be okay in the morning. But it doesn't settle him. Bunyan tells us in, in the book that he spends the night in sighs and in tears. He is in great distress because this book tells him that destruction is going to fall on the city of destruction. Well, after a character named Evangelist comes and helps him discover how to escape from the wrath to come, Christian starts running for the light that Evangelist points him to, the gospel, this, this wicked gate. And his family the book says, tries to wave him down. Hey, what are you doing? You're, you've gone mad. Don't go after this thing. And Christian takes his fingers and he puts them in his ears, the book says, and he runs and he says, life, life, eternal life. Here is a man in distress and he is running from the cause of his distress, this city of destruction. Now, this scene captures the attention. It is absolutely riveting, and anyone who, who, who reads it feels the urgency of the scene in the book. They feel the need for escape that Christian has, they, this, this bottled-up tension inside of him. His soul is in danger, and there is nothing more important to Christian than escaping the city of destruction. Friends, this is the reality that we find ourselves in as we get to Exodus chapter 12. We don't have a city of destruction. We have a nation of destruction in Exodus chapter 12. God has exacted his judgments on evil Egypt. Pharaoh's heart has been hardened nine different times. doesn't matter what plague the Lord hits Egypt with. Pharaoh is resolute. I will not bow to Yahweh. I will not let the people of Israel go. And he is destroying Egypt as a result. The text tells us, as we read through the plagues, even, even Pharaoh's own advisors say, you're destroying this nation. The plagues, these judgments are destroying Egypt. This is a nation of destruction. And there is one more plague coming. One more plague. It's been introduced last week in Exodus chapter 11. 
And this plague will destroy the firstborn of every family. It doesn't matter who you are in society. You can be a slave, your firstborn's going to die. You can be a great lord with great riches, a lot of money in your bank account, doesn't matter. Your firstborn is going to die. Even the beasts of the earth, the cows, the donkeys, the camels, it, firstborn will die. All the firstborns in Egypt will die. And yet, as destruction is foretold, as destruction, final destruction is warned, into the mix comes Exodus chapter 12, escape from judgment. And what Exodus chapter 12 does for us this morning is it helps us see this, that God delivers us from destruction through the Passover lamb. A way of escape is provided. And I hope you feel the tension. I really hope you feel the tension that Christian felt at the beginning of the Pilgrim's Progress. As he realized, I live in the land of destruction. Fire is coming to destroy this city. All that I love, all that I am, will be absolutely decimated unless I get out. Unless a way of escape is provided for. Friends, do you feel that urgency for your neighbor? Do you, if you're not in Christ, do you feel that urgency for yourself, that great distress, that unless there is a lamb, unless there is a way of escape provided, I will end this life being destroyed. The wrath of the Lord will be poured out on me. Do you feel that distress this morning? Well, for those who feel that distress, Exodus chapter 12 comes onto the scene and says, God delivers us from our destruction. How? Through the Passover lamb. Take your Bible with me and take a look at Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 1 down to 28. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. 
And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. On the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through the to strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he has passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's helpful to view this text that we've just read as one long instruction list. Yahweh gives Moses and Aaron instructions for the Passover meal in verses 1 to 13. Then Yahweh gives uh, Moses and Aaron instructions about the Feast of Unleavened Bread in verses 14 to 20. And then in verses 21 to 28, right until the end that we read there, Moses gives instructions to the elders of Israel so that the people do what God instructs them to do. And all of these instructions revolve around one theme, the Passover lamb. As instructions are given to Moses and Aaron and then to the people, we are meant to see how crucial the Passover lamb truly is. This, these instructions are meant to make the people cry out as Christian did, I need a lamb. And I hope that as we work our way through these instructions, you will cry the same, I need a lamb. And if you are in Christ, I hope that the second half of that cry is not only I need a lamb, but I have a lamb. Notice what the text tells us about the Passover lamb. Three truths. First, the Passover lamb delivers us from death. 
Now, there's lots of details as we look at the first 13 verses and then into verse 21 to 23. There's tons of details here as this Passover meal is described. And so I want to sort of summarize the instructions given here. There's just a a huge mash of them. I want to summarize them in five memorable statements or five statements that I think are fairly memorable. Here they are. Hurry up, sober up, look up, eat up, and change it up. Hurry up, sober up, look up, eat up, and change it up. Each of these phrases tells us something about the nature of the deliverance that is unfolding in front of the people of Israel's eyes. First, hurry up. Now, in our household, when we're heading out somewhere, there is a phenomenon that regularly takes place. I'm sure it happens in your household as well. The question gets asked, are you ready to go? Now, it might get asked with varying intensity based on the urgency of the situation and the tight timeline that we're running on. So if we're doing fine, it might be asked, hey, you guys ready to go? (laughs) But if we're a tad rushed, hey, you ready to go? (laughs) Or if we're super late, hey, let's go, let's go. (laughs) Now, that that never happens in our household. No one is asking if the household is ready to go in this passage. Everyone is to be ready. Everyone is to be prepared. The Passover lamb is supposed to be selected four days before the night of the Passover, and even the meal signifies a readiness. Hurry up. Everyone is to be ready to go. People are to be ready to eat this meal and to go and be delivered. The people are to eat unleavened bread. Why unleavened bread? Why wouldn't they put the yeast in the bread? Well, as a way to say, we're in a rush. We don't have time to let this bread rise. We don't have time to add the yeast. We will eat the simpler version, the unleavened bread. They're to eat with belt fastened. You see, verse 11, sandals on their feet, staff in their hand. They are to be ready for the road. Hurry up. The Lord is about to deliver you. That is the whole atmosphere of the Passover. There is this anticipation about what God will do to deliver his people. There is a preparedness. We are ready for what the Lord says he will do. Hurry up. That's how we can summarize some of these instructions. Secondly, sober up. See, the meal itself was to act as a reminder about the people's time in Egypt. The second half of verse 8, if you look down at your text, tells us that the people were to eat the Passover lamb with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Well, as we look at other passages in Scripture, namely Deuteronomy 16, uh, Deuteronomy 16 calls the unleavened bread the bread of affliction. So as the people are eating this unleavened bread, not only are they to say, we got to hurry up, like we don't have time to add yeast to this, they are to think this as well. They're to think, Look back at where we came from. We used to be in slavery. We used to be oppressed. We used to have a crazy amount of bricks to make under Egypt. We used to be under masters that were oppressive in every way. And the Lord has delivered us. This is the bread of affliction. The bitter herbs, why are they bitter? To remind the people of the bitterness of their captivity in Egypt. Friends, We need to remember the bitterness of our captivity to sin, death, and Satan. These implements were there to remind the people about where they came from. Friends, we need to remember where we've come from too. 
as we look at the Passover lamb. Oh, when we remember where we have come from, it helps us to be thankful people, to praise the Lord for his work in our life, to glory in what God has done in us. It helps us to boast in the Lord. He has brought us out of bondage to sin, death, and Satan and brought us to fellowship with himself. Sober up. Remember where you have come from. That's why some of these instructions exist. Thirdly, and most importantly, these instructions are meant to make us look up. Most of the instructions have to do with this point. The most important part of this whole ritual, this centerpiece, is the preparation of the Passover lamb. Now notice this, no distinction is made between Israel and Egypt here. Sometimes during the plagues, distinctions were made between Egypt and Israel. But here the Lord comes to the Israelites and says, hey, there's a plague coming. The firstborns of everyone, high to low, beast, animal, everyone, all the firstborns going to die. That will take place with you as well, Israel, unless, unless the Passover lamb, his blood, is spread on your doorpost. So destruction is coming. What, what does this symbolize? This, this symbolizes that God's wrath will be poured out on anyone who is not covered by the blood of the Lamb. We are all in Adam. Adam was our representative head, and we need a new head because Adam sinned, and now we are by nature sinners, not by nurture. By nature, we are sinners, and we need a new head. We need the head of the Passover Lamb to forgive us of our sins that we might be in fellowship with God. No distinction is made between Israel and Egypt here. Israel must have the blood of the Passover lamb spread on the doorpost, spread on that entrance to the household if they are to be saved. And so the Lord tells them, everyone needs a lamb, every household. And if your household is too small for a lamb, buddy up with another household and get a lamb that is suitable for the diets of everyone in those two homes. And then at twilight, on the 14th day, everyone is to kill their lamb. And the blood of the lamb is to be spread, as we said, on the doorpost and the lintel of the home with this purification herb, the, the, the hyssop branch. Houses with the blood on the doorposts and lintel would be protected from the destroying angel. The firstborn would be spared. Here's what the lamb is all about. The lamb is a substitute. The lamb dies in the place of the firstborn. So as the people look up to the lintel over top of the doorway, as they look to the doorposts, they are to see there the blood of this substitute. And that is to help them to look up a little bit further to the Lord from whom came, from who, who provided this Passover lamb, this substitute for the people. This isn't the first text that we see a substitute in in Scripture, as we look at the progress of redemption, the first text that we actually see a substitute, um, uh, a substitute animal given in is uh, Genesis 22. You might remember it. You remember Genesis 22 when the Lord tests Abraham by instructing him to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son that he loves, on Mount Moriah. And as Abraham and Isaac are walking to the place, I mean, you remember the conversation. Isaac asks, "Father, behold the fire and the wood." And where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac's a little bit confused. We're, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, we're headed to the place that you said we would offer the sacrifice, but there's no sacrifice. And Abraham, he answers so accurately, God will provide for himself a lamb 
for a burnt offering, my son. And so everything's set up the, you know, to, to make the sacrifice. And then, soberingly, Isaac is tied up. He is placed on the altar. And you can just picture the knife is raised. Everything is ready to happen as the Lord had set up the test. And the Lord calls out, Abraham, Abraham. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And you know what Abraham does next? The Lord stops him from slaying his son, from sacrificing his son. You know what Abraham does next? He looks up, the text says. He lifted his eyes and there he sees a ram for the sacrifice. God had provided a substitute for this firstborn from Sarah who was about to die. Friends, God has provided a substitute for Israel, for all the firstborns of Israel in the Passover lamb. And as they look up on their doorposts, they are to remember, I have a substitute. The Bible always wants us to look up when we think about salvation and see the provision of God in our salvation. God has supplied the substitute sacrifice. He always has. He's done it in Genesis 22. He's doing it here in Exodus 12. He does it again in Leviticus 16 on the Day of Atonement. He provides the substitute and he does it in the once for all sacrificial substitute in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And the New Testament causes, up to look, causes us to look up and say with John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As we see Jesus, we see this sacrificial lamb. We see this all-sufficient substitute dying in our place for our sins. And you know, at the heart of what Jesus has done is something that we call penal substitutionary atonement. Now, don't tune me out. <laughs> penal substitutionary atonement. Sometimes when we hear complex phraseology like that, we go, okay, well, that's just for the pastor to know he's the real theologian, and I, I, don't, I don't need to figure this out. I can just trust him on this one. No, no, we're all theologians. We just might have bad theology, but we all believe something about the Lord. We need to know these things. At the heart of the gospel stands this phrase, penal substitutionary atonement. Let me just break it down for you. Penal, penalty. Christ took our penalty. Substitutionary. It, Christ is our substitute, just like a, a, a man in a soccer match would be exchanged, take the place of another man who's in the game. So Christ takes our penalty, our full penalty, in our place. He's our substitute. Atonement for our sins to make us right with God. Christ takes the full penalty for our sins in our place on Calvary's cross that we might be reconciled to the triune God. That's penal substitutionary atonement. That's what's happening on the cross, and it inspires worship. Because as we look at this Lamb of God who was slain on Calvary's cross, this substitute that was provided for us, here we see three things. We see a whole lot more than three things, but we see three things this morning. We see God's mercy on display. Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We look at the cross, the cross is all mercy. Penal substitutionary atonement. As we look at the cross, we see God's justice on display. Christ became sin for us. He took the full blow of God's wrath towards us by dying a criminal's death on Calvary's cross. God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the, here's the deal. 
God's justice is shown at Calvary. He doesn't just wipe our sins, throw them under the carpet and say, hey, we'll just forget about that, okay? Don't worry about it. They're under the carpet. We'll just hide them away over there. No one needs to see it. No, 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 no. Every sin must be paid for, for we have sinned against a holy God. God will not hide our sins away. They're not under the table. They're not between the cushions in our couch. They're not under the rug, nothing. The sins must be paid for, and here's the deal. Jesus takes those sins for us. He is the object of God's justice that we might go free from God's wrath. We see God's justice on display at the cross. He executes his justice that we deserve on Jesus. And as we look upon the cross, we don't only see God's mercy and God's justice, but we see God's love. Romans 5, while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. The very Son of God took our place for our sins. What a love. What a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. Look up and worship. The Passover lamb was meant to make the people look up. He was meant to help us to glory in our God who has provided this perfect substitute, who has delivered us from death. And let me emphasize this this morning. Salvation is a free gift. How do I obtain That thing, that penal substitutionary atonement, how does Christ die in my place? It's a free gift. But we must take it by faith. That is how we acquire this gift of grace in the Passover lamb. So look up, but also this leads us to our next phrase, eat up. The lamb was not meant to be merely slaughtered and then disposed of. Notice it in the text. Or even... Or, or even just burnt up right after the blood was um, scattered on the uh, doorpost and the lintel. Everyone was to participate in eating the lamb. This identified everyone with the lamb. This sacrifice has been made for this household, for me. We call this faith. Friends, if you would have your sin to atone for, your life made right with God, you must take hold of Christ by faith. You must identify with the Lamb. You must repent of your sins and trust in Jesus for the full and free forgiveness of your sins. And so may I encourage all of us this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, eat up. That Passover Lamb is for you. But then there's also one more phrase that helps to summarize all of these instructions. Change it up. I skipped the first two verses of our text on purpose. They emphasize, if you read them, That all of life for the Israelite people is to be oriented around what God does here. Do you see what it says there? Let's just read those first few verses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. When our province or country wants to emphasize the importance of a day, they, you know, make it a stat or they, you know, put the holiday on the calendar and you either get paid more if you work the day or you get the day off, you know, so you got a longer weekend. So we celebrate days like Canada Day because Canada Day is important or Family Day or Thanksgiving Day, many other days. 
But this text says Passover is not just important enough to give it a day. I want your entire calendar changed because all of your life, all of your time is built on this foundation. Here it is, that the Passover lamb delivered you from death. That the Passover lamb has redeemed you out of the hands of the Egyptians. You have life. You have time before you. Why? Because the Passover lamb was killed and his blood spread on the doors. I want you to change your entire calendar to mark this. Change it up. The Passover lamb delivers us from death. That's the first set of instructions. Then we get to the second set of instructions, verse 14 to 20. And, and, and here we're, we're shown that the Passover lamb not only delivers us from death, but he reminds us of redemption. As, as we move to this set of, second set of instructions, we come across a very key theme, a theme that we see all throughout Scripture. It is the theme of remembrance. The people of Israel are to observe an annual feast or memorial in order to remember all that God has done. So it's not only the calendar change that will act as a reminder, it is the annual feast that will help the people not forget what God did to deliver them out of Egypt. The annual feast, <clears throat> excuse me, the memorial will help the people remember what is my identity? What is my life rooted in? My life is rooted in the fact that God has delivered me and all of the life that I live, I live out of that. Everything about their life derives from this reality. And so there is to be no work done. We see some of these instructions uh, throughout these verses, verse 14 to 20. There's to be no work done on the first and the seventh days. The first day is to be a holy day. The seventh day is to be a holy day. No leaven is to be eaten on any of these days. And they will eat unleavened bread for all seven days so that they remember their afflictions in Egypt, so that they remember the redemption that God has wrought by the blood of this Passover lamb. And these instructions are repeated in order to emphasize the importance of this principle of remembrance. You have to remember the Passover lamb. It is essential that you remember the Passover lamb. Remembrance. We get this theme all throughout Scripture. You look at the Psalms. The Psalms are always pointing us back. You, you, know, you get to the book of Deuteronomy, and, and Moses is, is remembering the people as they're on the cusp of the promised land about all that God has done in their past. You get the prophets reminding people about all that God has done in the past. Then you get to the New Testament, which some people call the appendix to the Bible, right? Uh, probably an unfair way to term it. But <clears throat> it's pointing back to all that God has done and saying, now here's what he's done in Jesus Christ remembrance. We are to be a remembering people. And friends, when we forget, which we do so easily and so subtly and so slowly, we are in a heap of trouble. You know, this is where our grumbling comes from. Grumbling comes from forgetting who the Lord is, forgetting all the blessings that he has placed in our life in the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of our grumbling comes because we forget. A lot of our complacency our desire to go after other things and, and, and invest our life in this, that, and the other thing and sort of forget about what the Lord is doing through his church. A lot of our complacency takes place because we forget over time. Just slow drift. A lot of our stagnancy and service to the King of Kings comes, why? Because we forget 
And we need regular reminders. And so the Lord puts this regular reminder in place every year. You will observe the Passover meal and that will be followed by a week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread so that you do not forget where your identity is found, that you are a people who have been redeemed, that you are a people who have been delivered. Do not forget the Lord. And I want to get really practical here. I want to provide us with means that we can place into our life that we might not forget the Lord. Forgetfulness is often like a boat in the middle of a lake. It's a very still lake. You can see like the glassy water. There's not even really any ripples on it. And you're sort of out in the middle of the lake. You're in a boat. And uh, you decide, I'm going to take a nap. So you fall asleep in the boat. Then you wake up. And you're, you know, an hour later, so far away from where you started. Well, the lake isn't moving still. How did I get all the way over here? Just slow drifts, slow drifts, just those little compromises in life. It's just those little things in life that, you know, I'm going I'm to invest in this rather than in the identity that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's those slow drifts. It's like that boat on the lake. And so how is it that as God's people, we can keep the Lord before our eyes such that we do not forget that we are a redeemed people? Because here's, here's, here's the deal. You can sit here this morning, and you can sit here week after week, and you can still be a forgetful person. This can just become a ritual for you. It can just become a ritual for me. Okay, well, you know, I'm on the pastoral prayer next week, so I'll get that ready, and I've got a scripture reading ready to go next week, and I've got to come up here and read that. And, you know, Caleb's just going through the motions. Oh, things can become ritualistic so quickly. How, what, what can we place in our life? What does the Lord place in our life that we may not forget? First, the Lord's Supper. We have a memorial, a ritual, an observance, an ordinance, call it what you will, that points us to the work of the Lord, his past redemption, his present sustaining grace, his future glorious return. Do you realize, friends, that the Passover is actually the precursor to the Lord's Supper? When Jesus gathers his disciples around the table in the upper room on the night of his betrayal, what night is it? What are they observing? The Passover meal. And what does Jesus do at that meal? You know what he does at that meal? He reinterprets the Passover for them. He says, as he breaks bread, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup and he says, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus takes the Passover meal on the Passover night, on the night that he is betrayed, and he reinterprets it for his disciples that they might remember. And he says, do this as often as you gather. Do this as often as you can to remember what I have done for you. Oh, my body has been broken. My blood has been spilt. Remember, it, is, it forms the very basis of your identity. And so I would just encourage all of us, don't miss the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of the month. Don't take it haphazardly or casually. Prepare yourself for those Sundays. Write into the office and ask Sharon to send you that liturgy so that on Saturday night you can, you can read those lines and prepare your heart for what is coming. I get to remember Jesus Christ. Explain the Lord's Supper to your kids. Say, hey kids, 
Here's what happened at the Passover. Here's how Jesus reinterprets it, and this is why we do it, because we forget, guys. Don't we forget? Second, how are we going to remember the Lord? The Lord's Supper first. Secondly, the Lord's Day. We remember the Passover lamb and his glorious resurrection on the first day of the week, Resurrection Day. Don't neglect the habit of meeting together. Don't don't pass off encouragement for other lesser things, sports, frequent weekend getaways, travel, as much as you can. Gather with God's people. Know the fellowship of his people and look up to the lamb. He was slain and he has risen again and that's why we gather on a Sunday morning. Third, how are we going to remember the Passover lamb? Singing. Songs get embedded in our heads. How many of you know more lyrics? I'm, ac- I'm asking. I'm really asking. How many of you know more lyrics, have them memorized, than scripture? Okay, be honest. <laughs> That's because the rhyme, the meter of song, has a way of embedding itself in our memories, such as someone will be lying on their deathbed and they might, know, they might not know your face. They might not know the face of their closest family. But they know that hymn of grace that you are singing them. And it ministers to them in their disorientation. We need to sing to embed these truths into our hearts. My family these days, have been, we've been listening to Jesus Strong and Kind. Nathan's been singing that with me at night. And it's just been, it's been ministering to us in, in, in a certain season in our lives. We've been listening to the album, I Can't Find the Edges of You by Citizens. Beautiful album about the glory and beauty of the Lord. The style's probably not for everyone. And we've also been listening to The Lord Almighty Reigns and Holy Spirit Living Breath of God by the Gettys. And these songs have just been helping to fortify us, helping to remind us as we walk towards a delivery, uh, our second baby, as we walk towards some challenging things in our life, Lord, remind us about who Jesus Christ is. We need music to that end. Fourth, how do we remember Christ, the means of grace? Scripture, we live by the word of God. Man cannot live by anything else but by the living word of God. We need prayer in our life. We do all of our Christian life on our needs. We need the ordinary means of grace to remind us about who Jesus is. Fifth, how do we remember Christ? Catechism. Now, I don't want to lose you again. <laughs> Penal substitutionary atonement, catechism, same sermon, what? Some of you might ask, what's catechism? We see catechism in the text this morning. Uh, take a look at verses 26 and 27 with me. Moses says, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? A question is asked. You shall say, an answer is given, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Catechism. Nathan, our son, asks a lot of questions, as kids do, in his little high-pitched voice. What's this? What's that? Daddy, where's mommy? You know, just everything is a question. All, you know, certain car goes by, and I don't know cars. What's that? I don't know, kid. It's got an engine. Like, you know, it, it, everything is a question. It's wonderful. Kids have questions. Here's what catechism does. 
It anticipates that kids have questions. It puts a question in their mouth, and it supplies the biblical answer, such that your kid has a question memorized and the answer memorized, such that you have a question memorized and the answer memorized. And, you know, who doesn't want their kid to know this? Question 20, the New City Catechism. Question, who is the Redeemer? Answer, the only Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, in whom God became man and bore the penalty for sin himself. What a blessing to have your kid rattle that off. What a blessing to have that hidden in your heart. Who doesn't want their kid to have question 24 of the New City Catechism memorized? Why is it necessary for Christ, the Redeemer, to die? Answer, since death is the punishment for sin, Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin. Wow, precise language. And bring us back to God. By his substitutionary atoning death, he alone redeems us from hell and gains, us, and gains for us forgiveness for, of sin, righteousness, and everlasting life. Do you not want your kids to know those answers and to be able to explain what some of those words mean and don't think they're incapable? Oh, kids will grab onto that. Adults will grab onto this stuff. This is what the saints have done for generations. They have catechized themselves. They have learned the doctrines of the faith by memorizing questions and answers, Moses anticipates that here. Dad, what does this Passover meal mean? Why do we celebrate this every year? Dad, what does Christmas mean? Why every year do we, you know, celebrate? Why is there a baby in the manger and some three guys with some staffs and all that? Son, let me give you the answer. And actually, I'm going to require you to memorize it. Jesus Christ is your only redeemer. Catechism. This is how we remember Jesus. And six, how do we remember Jesus? How do we remember this Passover lamb? Family devotions. Teach your family to worship. Teach them the truths of the faith through short and simple family devotions. These do not need to be complicated. Get everyone a Bible when they can read. Sit around the table around mealtime. Read Genesis chapter 1 on day 1. And then you know what? Day two goes terrible and the family's not around the table together. Skip day two. Day three, sit there. Where's the bookmark? Oh, it's in Genesis chapter two. Read Genesis chapter two. No comments need to be made. You just need to pray afterwards. Your kids, your family, together, you will learn the scriptures. Family devotions. We need to remember the Lord. The whole point of the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread is that the people would not forget the redemption that they have in the Lord. And so the Passover lamb, he delivers us from death. He reminds us about our redemption. And oh, do we need to be reminded about our redemption. And thirdly, look at the last verse and a half. Look at the, the, the end of 27, the last sentence, and the beginning of 28. The Passover lamb, we learn this other critical truth about him. He compels us to worship and obey. What does a life transformed by grace look like? Like when we really understand what God has done, what is the result? Well, do you see it in these verses? Look at it. The people bowed their heads and they worshiped. They have just learned about this sacrificial, this, this Passover lamb that will be sacrificed so that the firstborns can live. And what do they do? God has delivered us. And they bow before him in worship. All that they can do is worship. And what do they do? They obey. 
Obedience does not save us. Our works do not save us. They do not merit us good standing in God's sight as it pertains to salvation. But they sure do follow the salvation that the Lord rots in our, uh, the, the Lord creates in our life. When God saves us, we worship and we obey. That's the Christian life. And so the text ends by encouraging the same response that the people had uh, for us. God's deliverance comes through the Passover lamb, and so we are called to worship. We are called to obey. We are called to go live those lives of bodliness as a result on the foundation of what all that God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so church, as we stand up and as we sing, let's remember the Passover lamb and let's worship him, give him the honor and the worth that he is due. Would you stand with me and with the team as we sing, Jesus strong and kind.